It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. In this league, Podcast Network presents Prospect One, the Fantasy Prospect Podcast. Prospect One, with your host, Chris Welsh. This is the Fantasy Baseball Prospect Podcast, Prospect One. I'm your host, Chris Welsh. You can find me on Twitter at IsItTheWelsh. And of course, on Instagram, the same thing. And at InThisLeague.com, where, yes, the top 200 P1 ADP prospect ADP has finally been posted. You can go and peruse. You can check out what the fall ADP was compared to the February and compared to this one. And coming in September, I'm going to be adding in all of the drafters from all four leagues. And again, to get to see who is the highest and lowest. And that will be part of the September update to the P1 ADPs. But if you go to InThisLeague.com right now, you can get my top 500 prospects, my dynasty, the ADP, and tons more if you want to uh, dabble around and get into the LT level. It's the way to support me, support what I do, keep it independent, really keep it going with everything going on. So I appreciate everybody that supports. And hopefully you guys are digging it and uh, we can continue growing and making awesome stuff. On today's episode, kind of a monster. Yeah, it's kind of a monster episode. Two big guests. We're going to be looking at the P1ADPs. We're breaking down two different drafts. We're breaking down League 4 and League 3. And I've got two separate interviews. Joining me first is Matt Eddy from Baseball America, of course. And number two, Air Cross. It's 1A1B situation, but Air Cross is going to finish it up. He was in League 3. Uh, Matt Eddy was in League 4. Bunch of great people in there. We're going to look at their teams, which is so great because we are going to get to look at really talking about like 30 different prospects in this and how they prioritize, they value the players who they like, who they didn't, why they drafted, and how they drafted. I think it's going to be beneficial for you guys to get more into the minds of these guys. And this was, you know, a test. This was like, hey, create a whole prospect team. And by the way, you don't know everybody in here. So that's one of the things I really love about this is you don't know the drafting habits of everybody. If you do an industry one, we'll for the most part know the drafting habits of everybody. And not to say that that's not good. It's just not every league has, you know, 12 to 15 industry players in it. So this ADP, is, it's been a fun thing to put together. I think you guys have really enjoyed it. I think it helps with the entire process of understanding a lot of their values, who goes up, who goes down. And, you know, since we've done it, I think there's been a couple of players that have boosted up. So we're going to do full breakdowns from both of those leagues with their teams, and we'll probably intertwine with some other stuff inside of it. Baseball America's big move to have Jackson Churio in at number two overall. Eric Cross... His first-year player ranks have kind of moved around, and you know there's a new guy compared to where he used to have, and then obviously there's Chase DeLauder, who he has got a pretty high marker on, even more than you probably thought 
uh, that's going to come into this. So we're going to do the full breakdown. So I think you guys are going to dig all of that. And uh, again, go over to thisleague.com. You can check out all the stuff. want to give a shout out to my boy, Dennis Sidler. We did a uh, Break This League event over on our Twitch, twitch.tv slash in this league. And part of that, we fill it through our Patreon and we had some awesome stuff. I got a whole barrage of futures game stuff. And one of the big raffles we had was a Corbin Carroll autographed futures game ball and an autographed first Bowman card. We also had this really cool game that I played where we were able to give away a Curtis Mead futures game ball as well as a Bobby Witt autograph card. So uh, you guys want to check out, be a part of those, make sure you're part of the army and shout out to Dennis Sidler. Well, you guys want to check out at Sid's graphs today, all his incredible stuff. Jackson Churio, one of his big clients that he's locked down. Maybe you heard of Michael Harris. And uh, I was just on the phone with him actually today. And he's got a couple others that are just about pinned. He actually told me one that he locked down, but I don't know. It just seems so early. I'm not going to tell everybody yet. Uh, but then he continuously goes. So go and check out his amazing stuff, whether it's balls, helmets, mini helmets, bats, or cards, sidsgraphs.com and online on the social media and all the places. Go and do that today. So the Arizona Fall League is officially starting to drop some information, which means it is getting close to Arizona Fall League time for the rosters. They dropped uh, two days ago their season pass. They released the schedule and they released the affiliates. And you know, I hadn't even planned to do it, but let's talk about the affiliates real quick. Um, if you care, I've done this in the past. I enjoy doing it. So that's probably why I do it. If the rosters are not released within the next two weeks, the third episode, so not next week, but the week after, I am going to drop my AFL prediction show of on who's going to be joining the AFL, what guys are going to be out here, um, which I know for people that have no proximity to it, it's kind of a bummer because they don't televise any of the games outside of the fall league, but it's going to be me being able to get you lots of video and coverage. If you happen to be the person that wants to come out here during the AF, uh, during the first pitch conference, you'll be able to see them. And even if you don't, by the way, I'd always say, uh, hit me up if you're a listener or whatever. One of the coolest experiences I've had was, I want to say it was last year, the year before is AFL. I do love the idea. It, never do I experience this else in my life, but like people know I'm around and having people like yell to me that have listened to the podcast like, hey, Welsh. And I'm like, hey, what's up? I love interacting with people. It's kind of a cool thing. And uh, whether you're doing first pitch or not, it's a really unique experience with some of the game's best prospects. And uh, we ha don't have the rosters yet, though I will say... I do know one person, but I can't say it. I can say it maybe offline to somebody, but it's uh, it's uh, on the record, and I'm not allowed to, or I guess off the record, uh, but I knew to one name that's official, and I've got a couple that are like so, like if Brennan Davis and Josh Young are not on the AFO roster, I don't know. I don't know what we're doing. Like, I don't know why they would not be. It, it would make no sense in the world. Brennan Davis is out here in Complex League rehabbing right now. Maybe he'll go up for the little last playoff run that's coming up in um, in the higher affiliates. But why he wouldn't with the amount of time he missed, no idea. Same thing with Josh Young, no idea. Those two to me are the lock of locks to make the AFL. But I know one other player. Uh, hopefully more are going to be trickling. And so here are the teams with the affiliates. You probably don't care too much about the teams uh, themselves. But each team, there are six teams in the AFL, each team has five major league affiliates attached to it. So let's start with the Glendale Desert Dogs. That is played in uh, Camelback Ranch. It is the home of the White Sox and Dodgers, and those two teams are always on there. So you can, any of the home teams, they will always have their, you know, like their stadium's team. So like Salt River's going to have the Diamondbacks and Rockies. Peoria will have San Diego and the Mariners. 
Camelback Ranch has the White Sox and the Dodgers. So whatever prospects they decide to decide to send out, I would assume like just early little guesses, White Sox probably going to send like an Oscar Colas. Dodgers are a little bit of a wild card, but I would guess like Eddie's Leonard would be someone, maybe Jorvit Vivas, um, maybe one of the pitchers, maybe Gavin Stone, maybe not Bobby Miller, but Gavin Stone. Uh, joining them will be the Cincinnati Reds, the Minnesota Twins, and the Milwaukee Brewers. So the fun about that is I assume Noelvi is going to come out. So you might have, you know, Oscar Colas, Noelvi Marte. I think Austin Martin should probably be sent out by the Twins, maybe Spencer Steer, and the Brewers probably sent out a Garrett Mitchell. You know, those are just like a, just me off the top of my head throwing out. Probably going to be pretty good. Uh, there's, I think the pitching prospects are probably going to lack on this team unless the Dodgers send some out, but that is the Camelback team. The Peoria team, the Peoria Javelinas, which a Javelina is a wild pig if you haven't seen it. Javelinas are mean, by the way, in real life. Like, they will chase you. They have the San Diego Padres and the Seattle Mariners. Both teams a little devoid of some of the talent off of uh, recent trades. Not quite as uh, stacked as before. I don't even know who the uh, Padres off the top of my head would even send at this point, nor the Mariners. Maybe Emerson Hancock because he's missed innings. They will be joined by the Cleveland Guardians, the New York Mets, and the Washington Nationals. So I don't think James Wood would be sent out, but Robert Hassel could come back. That would be funny for him to come back to the park that you know he trains in. The Mets have a slew of players. Um, you could argue maybe Alvarez. I could see I could see him DHing here. You could see uh, Alex Ramirez, Ronnie Mauricio. The Guardians, pff, I mean, they just got a gajillion pitchers and middle infielders. I don't know. But it'll be the Padres, Mariners, Guardians, Mets, and, Nash, and Nationals on the Peoria team. The Salt River team, home of the Diamondbacks and Rockies, which my big guesses are Corbin Carroll and uh, Ezekiel Tovar, I would assume, are going to be joining here. They are going to be joined by the Detroit Tigers, the St. Louis Cardinals, and the Toronto Blue Jays. That's very different, too. I don't think either... Well, you know what? The Tigers were there last year. I'm wrong about that because Spencer Torkelson was on that team. Um, Tigers, off the top of my head, nothing's ringing a bell. Maybe Dylan Dingler. The Cardinals, I mean, I think the two bigs, Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn, would make a ton of sense. And the Blue Jays, I don't know. I hope Ricky Tideman, if I'm being honest. The Scottsdale Scorpions which is where the San Francisco Giants solely play. Uh, they will be there. They will be joined by the Angels, Orioles, Boston Red Sox, and Atlanta Braves. Some locked-in teams. This one could be a total wild card. It could be blah, or it could be amazing. I mean, they could send out Casas Miss sometime this year. Maybe they resend him back out. Orioles, maybe they send Gunner, Grayson Rodriguez. The Angels have got, you know, maybe they get aggressive with Zach Neto. And the Braves have got some pitchers and obviously some hitters as well. These uh, The Surprise Saguaros, which is the team that is right across the street from me, you will have the Royals and the Rangers, joined by the Astros, the Phillies, and the Pirates. So the Pirates could bring back Nick Gonzalez, I think is possible. The Phillies, I have no idea off the top of my head. The Astros, maybe Hunter Brown, um, Colin Barber. And then the Rangers, I would assume this would be a Josh Young, Royals, I don't know, maybe Gavin Cross. Maybe they send him out. They're kind of a weird one. And then finally, you have the Mesa Solar Sox, which is going to have the Cubs and A's, who the Cubs, that's our home park, and that's where the Fall Stars game will be. They are going to have the A's, the Marlins, the Yankees, and the Rays. So maybe you're going to see Oswalt Peraza with the Yankees. Marlins, pfft, I don't know, you know, maybe Sixto maybe finally comes out. I mean, I guess I don't really think he'd be eligible. I honestly don't know who they would send out. The Rays, off the, the these are not coming off the top of my head. A's, kind of same thing. 
there's a million different ways that these could go. I'll speculate in an episode. Cubs, you know, I think they could go into the area of like even a Pete Crow Armstrong or they've got a bunch of relatively older-ish guys they might want to see. Sometimes you get 19-year-olds, sometimes you get 26-year-olds. I will uh, guesstimate on all of these, but those are the affiliates. Every team represented, five to seven players per team will be sent out here to fill out the roster. They have a taxi squad with players that play minimally, but it's great access and it's going to be going down. And uh, because of which it's very public, my uh, no longer being in my real life job, which is a little, unf- <laughs> little unfortunate for really everything and stability and sanity, um, I will be probably at almost every single game. So for anybody that likes Prospect 1, this might be better than ever for you because I have the opportunity to pretty much be at every single day and game. So hopefully you guys want to support P1 so we can continuously make that happen. But I do have the availability and I will be attempting to get video on everybody. We'll see what the interview process is going to be like. I really have no idea, but um, we're close. Starts October 3rd. Guys will start coming out around October 1st or right at the end of September. And uh, October 3rd will be there. I will be here. Maybe I'll see you here. And we will speculate on it in uh, like two weeks. In the two, week, uh, two weeks from now episode. So let's get into this episode. It is Matt, Eddie, and Eric Cross. Separate interviews talking through their P1 ADP drafts. Going to get you guys some knowledge. Going to see what you guys think. and love to hear from you. Let's start it off with Matt Eddy right here on Prospect One. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Say, I like you. I like you so much, I'm going to make you my partner. All you have to do is find the gold, and I'll share it with you 50-50. Prospect 1. First up and joining me here on Prospect One, he is Matt Eddy. You can find him on Twitter at Matt Eddy, B-A, over Baseball America, executive editor, and just overall great dude. Love chatting fantasy with him, chatting prospects, and Matt was kind enough to jump into the P180Ps to help create this. So Matt, what is up, my friend? I feel like we haven't talked in a little bit outside of a few DMs. Yeah, I think it's been about a year for the podcast, but it's- No way, is it really? Yeah, it's great to be back, though. Thanks for having me. Oh, that's ridiculous. Yeah, no, I love having you. I think I get into a space, too. I completely abuse my friendship with, like, James and Cross, but then I tie it into other people, and I'm like, have I been doing that with them? So then I think I just keep going and going. I can't believe it's been that long. Well, Matt, you are definitely one of the guys I always love chatting with, and you always make these drafts really interesting, and you are one of the key cogs to why this stuff is so great and why these, you know, ADPs in whatever capacity you want to use them for is a fun experiment. 
because we get to go and see what industry people do in these type of leagues that are also not up against all industry people, because there is kind of a echo chamber that happens when we're all drafting together and everybody kind of knows the tendencies. This is a little bit more out in the open. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what the person necessarily left or right of you is going to do. And at the end of the day, you're just trying to create a full team that's put together. We're going to go through your picks. Uh, we got some great stuff in here. You don't have to give me any actual pick breakdown, but what was your process in creating your own? Because the idea of this is like, all right, you got a dynasty team. Now you're doing your prospect draft. How are you going to put together your prospect draft? What was your process going into it as far as like, the type of players that you wanted? Did you have any, I don't want a lot of pitchers? I mean, what was your, what was the thought process before we look at the actual players that you took? Yeah. W when building a farm system from scratch, it definitely focused on the young um, hitters and position players look, looking, trying to capture as many of the categories as you can. I didn't really react too strong for speed, stolen base potential, more hitting on base power potential. And I, I think I ended up taking three pitchers, but they were, a very secondary or even tertiary concern for something like this. And the values you got on them were pretty stupid. Um, you, you talk about like, you know, the future side, did you play both sides or one side of proximity versus future value? Because I mean, I look at your team, we're going to go through them. And I feel like you kind of had a mix where early on you said, I don't care about proximity. It is best, best, mm -hmm. best. And then it does seem that there might be a little, but, but even so it's, it's really balanced. It's a very balanced team, but there are some closer proximity players. Did any of that come into a role when you are putting together something like this? No, picking, I think I was picking eighth. So I didn't really get the proximity guys like Gunnar Henderson and, and players like him. So the, those guys were off the table. So I just generally went upside. Best available players. Now, uh, Baseball America, you guys made, I would say, some good headways splashes in the prospect community by your midseason or however you guys actually term it, like it's an in-season update, your most recent in-season update, where you guys made a huge push for Jackson Cheerio to number two overall. I know this isn't a big surprise. Obviously, you don't want to give away Baseball America's stuff. Uh, go and support them behind the paywall. Uh, you know, I'm a firm believer in that. You guys do insane work. But this was an eye-opening, like so much so that, you know, we have these, pro I have my group me rooms. And what's fun about it is it's it's like its own little universe. It's its own little tiny microcosm of a universe that exists in the prospect world. So when things happen, people go and they... Um, they go and they share stuff, you know, and they're like, Hey, this happened here. Or that happened there. And when baseball America dropped that, uh, um, Jackson Churio was number two overall that made a lot of headway in here so much so that it leads to your first pick in this draft, which I believe was pick eight in this, how I, uh, I think I screwed up how I have this. I believe it was the eighth pick and you mm -hmm. took Jackson Churio. So I'd love to get obviously your thought on getting him at eight, but can you talk through the inner working process of how you guys got to Churio at two? Yeah, he was kind of the player I wanted all, all along heading into this draft, just based on my draft position. And I was ecstatic that he fell to number eight um, in this. <laughs> I wish it was a real team, in fact. But um, <laughs> it, the, the process, as we talked through it, we didn't feel like there were any slam dunk number one prospects in baseball. And if you look at what Churio has done at age 18, dominating low A, not missing a beat at high A. He's really on that Juan DeFranco, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. path of development. So we kind of kind of just reading the tea leaves, seeing where things were going, 
and, and the scouting reviews are otherworldly. I mean, we've heard from some scouts who even in the DSL last year had him as like a seven overall upside player. I mean, it's just ridiculous for a 17 year old in the Dominican summer league. So we, we factored all those things together and our thought was to try to get ahead of the curve. And you guys did, I think, I mean, do you recall a time where you were this aggressive with this type of player at this level? Is there someone that comps? Is it uh, Vladimir Guerrero it's, Jr. maybe? It's Wander. Because after his Class A season, he, he made it to high A in his first full year. And then he ranked number one heading into the next season. So that's, so, you know, that's the closest. Okay. Because that, that's what's interesting about that. And I guess I'm doing this from a little bit of an angle, a different angle is that I felt like Wander was on the scene earlier. And maybe that's the mental thing that people don't realize. So that, that's it's if you have a good comparison of Wander to him, okay, that makes sense. But I guess the difference was, in my mind, like Wander was around in like 16 years old, and he was on my mind, and he was like a top international prospect. And Churio comes at us, I think, a little bit different because he is he's in that young age, but not at 16. He wasn't the huge, big splash international signing. And really no one was talking about him preseason whatsoever. Like maybe there were scouts, you know, that have given some internal stuff, but there was no real conversation so much. So he didn't go in both versions of the P one ADPs that I put together. He didn't go in the, whatever it was, August or October, and he didn't go in February. And then now he jumps up and he's a consensus top, you know, 10 player overall. And you guys move him to two um, I like, and I'm, I'm with this, I'm with the curb, but is there a certain, is it the hit tool intangible? Is it maybe the comparison to, to wander in some of those that make it like, this is a slam dunk number two, because I guess it just, it's very eye opening in all the good ways, by the way, this is the fun thing people want. People are going to get paid off like crazy that we're able to draft him or in pickup leagues, we're able to get him when, you know, I was talking about him during extended spring when he was getting some big EV stuff. Those people are mm -hmm. going to have an exponential payoff, but I just don't feel like the impact is truly recognized of a guy that was in obscurity to nothing, who is now the number two overall prospect. Is there one intangible? Is it that hit tool that solely gets there? No, with him, like he's very strong across the board. Um, and, if you, and if you look at his performance last year in the DSL, good walk to strikeout, good hitting markers, good power markers, good athlete. I think he signed as a shortstop. And he moved to center field just the ease of operation. There's a lot of confidence from the scouting community. And now the performance-based analysis is, is on the same page. And I think it adds up to a future elite major league player. Yeah. And it's, um, it's one of those things like I would love to almost see him struggle to see how he comes out of it. But you also have to give credit to like, he doesn't struggle. He hasn't struggled at all. There is no struggle in his game. Um, and you have to give credit to that. So when he dropped to eight to you, you were probably just jumping through the roof because I don't believe this had dropped when we did the, I don't believe the baseball America two overall had even happened when we started this. I could be incorrect. So you had to be like, here we go. <laughs> I would let everybody know. Right. Well, yeah, I've been grabbing them everywhere. I, I was, um, I, I started this one crazy uh, 70 man roster, 24, team league in the offseason uh, dynasty head-to-head -head points and i drafted him in that league so <laughs> i was that that turned out to be prescient <laughs> so okay so the baseball america list is not this list is not designed to read as a fantasy list and i think most people kind of know that it's not to say that it's not it's not applicable to it but this isn't read as a one for one and i think most people would understand that when you see gabriel moreno at three so this shouldn't be read as like a one for one fantasy list so my question would be how high 
would you have to be in a draft to not take Jackson Churio? Would you take him if you had the second overall pick? Would you have taken him? Would you have said, nah, I can't? Like, what would have been the point where you said, oh, I'm not taking Churio for someone else here? And we know eight is not the marker. I think I think he's in play at one. I think Gunnar Henderson and, and Jackson Churio probably would be at the top of my board. And that's, Over Carroll. Yeah, and, and, we've, and people in the industry have indicated that they're the top two on their board as well. So we're not, it's not like some rogue rogue opinion on and sure. on my part or at the part of BA, but I think those guys would be in play and that would be a tough choice. Honestly, you got the proximity and you got the upside on the other hand. Yeah. And I think what's unique about this range of top 100 and top 10 more specifically is I do not think there's a consensus and it, there's clearly not no though in this draft, Corbin Carroll was kind of taken as the consensus. I don't believe there is a overall thought, especially if you're saying like, Hey, there's some industry people in real life that consider Churio and Gunner as the top two fantasy has kind of got like his bigger grouping. And I think right now that grouping looks like Corbin Carroll, Gunner Henderson, Ellie De La Cruz and Churio. Um, I think those mm-hmm. are the kind of the big dogs. I think Volpe and uh, Jordan Walker belong in there, but that's, you know, another conversation, but that's my point. It's like, there's just a bunch of guys that are up in that list that I don't, yeah. you can give different reasons, you know, Churio, the young level, you know, BA's ranking, you can give Ellie with the insane numbers. Corbin Carroll has defied all odds and looks like one of the best hitters in the minor leagues and putting up big stats. Um, Volpe is a counting stat monster who struggled a little bit. I mean, you can go across the board and Gunner might be the most complete player of all of them with future projection that I'm not surprised. And I don't think you even have to like defend like, Oh, you know, we're not like, you know, outliers here. I just don't think there's going to be a consensus. I think there's just so many of these guys. It's, it's going to become the different flavors, right? It's going to be, I want proximity with the power speed. I want proximity with the big hit tool, or I want the future play, but what makes Carol not in that tier for you? What sets him aside? I mean, we're talking, he's going to, He's borderlining a 30-30 season. He's going to walk out, you know, with at least a 20-30 season, dominating every single level. He's everything you want in a uh, in a fantasy player statistically, but is what what is it that tears him off of Churio and Gunnar Henderson in your mind? You know, that's a tough one. I think I think there's just a little bit more confidence in the overall hitting and power of, of Henderson. I think the ultimate upside of Churio. I think I think Carroll is is a is a great prospect, and when you factor the speed element, if those stolen bases transfer to MLB, that's obviously hugely valuable in Roto. And, and maybe I'm just not a good enough Roto player to <laughs> to seize on that. But <laughs> I, I can see but, why if you if you come from a points, uh, is that your is that a primary platform for you? Is points? Yeah, I do prefer it to Roto. Yes. Okay, so then I could see a points player not being as ecstatic about Carol, even though he's at 22 homers, I'd want to point out and is a hits monster. I could see the projection of power putting him over a little bit. And I think that's always important to talk about because I don't usually don't, there's not many players that are just one for ones where they just cover everything. You like in a points format, you know, pitchers are going to just be more valuable. Um, If we were Mm -hmm. drafting this prospect league from a points perspective, I don't think there's a chance you would have let yourself get to the eighth or ninth round before you took your first pitcher. So it, I think it is important though, to kind of consider when, uh, when, and, and everybody and how you process anything, or we're talking about it into the formats that we think about, because I do think Carol could drop in points, but I don't think there's anything that he does 
that you could ding him compared to the other two. If anything, he might be more of a lock unless you don't believe in the power, unless you believe the power is a little bit of mirage. And I feel like that still kind of exists a little bit with Carroll. Have you heard the same thing that the power may be a little bit overinflated in the minor leagues and it might be when it gets to the majors? Yeah, there is the Amarillo effect. Uh, let me check his, his Reno numbers real quick. But that's Yeah, I've got him Peter's up here. Park. He's hitting 308, five homers. Uh, in double A, though, when you're talking about Amarillo, he hit 16 of his 20, what is it, 22 homers in double uh, A, but that was in 58 games with 20 stolen bases. In triple A, he's got five in 26 games, which still kind of about the same range with 10 stolen bases, uh, hitting 308 in 26 games. Yeah. The, the, the Amarillo home, home run factor is right up there with Albuquerque and Las Vegas. So it's, you, you do have to take it with a grain of salt, not to discount his power, but from a scouting perspective, but it, it will be interesting to see how it translates and how past players who've gone through there, how they have fared as they've gone to MLB. Yeah. I mean, and the, the, I don't, by the way, I'm not of that camp. I'm obviously, I'm a Corbin Carroll top guy, maybe a little bit homeristic, I suppose, but you know, the, the one thing I would I continuously kind of go back to with Corbin Carroll is that at every step he is dominated. There hasn't been a challenge, um, not to say that he hasn't been challenged, but he has been up to the challenge at every point. Doesn't strike out a bunch, uh, walks a ton. I mean, um, 41 walks and 58 games in double A. He's got 17 and 26 here. He literally does everything. Um, but the homers are a question, but those high, high hit tool guys, with not a lot of swing and miss are the type of players I like to bank on. Uh, but let's move actually maybe to like a kind of a counter to this. I thought you actually took a really interesting and somewhat controversial, I suppose, when like James and I talk about it, though I like this pick and I think it was a good value. Your second round pick, you took Marco Luciano. And Marco Luciano has definitely faded in a lot of eyes. Um, people would have heard that from James and I talking on the uh, Rotowire podcast. I believe it's a little overblown because he's been injured a whole lot this year. Uh, he's been in complex for quite a little bit, but the strikeouts are still there. The stolen bases are non-existent, but he's hitting 289, nine homers, just hit a homer the other day here in complex. So still top 20. Talk to me about their thought process uh, when you took Luciano in the second round. For, in terms of power and discipline and just bat speed and just <laughs> strength, uh, Luciano scores very well. I do not expect him to hit for a high average, I think. That might be a little overstated, his, his hit tool. So probably a better pick in an on-base league rather than a batting average league. But I don't think he's going to kill you either. I think 250-ish would, would be about the expectation, but a 30 home run potential. And, you know, third base is weak now. So assuming he shifts over to third base and the position stays pretty thin, I think there's a lot of profit upside there. If he moved into the outfield, would you feel different? Like, do you when you're putting these together – are you a big position positional type of guy? Does that matter? I know it definitely matters in real baseball and literally the idea of a guy not being able to finish at shortstop and moving to third can drop a guy 30 spots in real like overall rankings just because of positional stuff. I don't really consider it into fantasy whatsoever just because these guys move like night and day. You know, a guy can play a certain position their entire career then all of a sudden they're playing something else. But is that something that you consider when you're looking at these guys? Like, oh, this guy might come off a third or do you care about position? Um, to the extent that the players who play more demanding positions now are more likely to be able to find a new defensive home. Yeah. Um, so therefore, a player like Luciano, who's a shortstop now, 
I, I drafted short, uh, shortstops in the next two rounds. I mean, these, these players tend to be better athletes and tend to be able to make adjustments, you know, at the play in the field. So to that extent, I think people yeah, get I caught do. up, I guess. Cause, cause I agree with that. Like it's kind of the internet. It's the joke of like international prospects. If you ever go and look, Every international prospect is a shortstop, by the way. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like the top 50, it's like 35 of them are shortstops and then they'll kind of move around and stuff like that, that I feel the same way, but I know people get hung up. I've seen it before. People are like, well, I like three shortstops in my system and I don't know how I'm going to find room for them. And it's like, they're going to find room. And I agree. I, that's kind of my thing. I will drop lots of shortstops. I'm not afraid mm-hmm. to drop lots of shortstops because A, they're usually the best athletes, but also B, Positionally, they're going to move to somewhere. I guess my point was like, I don't care if Luciano goes into the outfield or goes to third base. Would I like that bat at third base? I would like that bat at third base a little bit more than I like at the outfield. But at the end of the day, if I can get the stats, I want the stats. It's that I feel is safe versus a guy that is a first baseman or a corner outfielder. And where are they going to move? You know, where is a left fielder really going to be able to move? if they need to maybe first base and first base prospects can be scary. So I'm with you on that type of flexibility, but I guess I was coming from a standpoint, like is your value on him change at all? If he becomes an outfielder, not a third baseman. Um, No, not for fantasy. Okay. Yeah. I I, I agree with you on that. So no worries. Uh, I feel like it's kind of trendy to not like Luciano. I still do. I think it's big, impactful power. I am worried about the strikeouts and how he's matured as a hitter. Like, what the average is going to look like at the major league level. And I think that's something to be concerned with a fantasy, but I almost feel like he's become, he's going to become a deal like someone to buy in on because I feel like the lack of uh, earth shattering numbers make him boring to a lot of people. So was there anybody else you had considered in that range over Luciano or were you pretty happy with him falling? I, I would say that I was receptive to him falling. I, I really, I wanted Marcelo Mayer there, but he went the pick before. Um, and I also considered Francisco Alvarez, but you know, the, the catcher, I mean, you're taking a lot of playing time right off the top. So I figured it'd be better to stick with the infielder. Yeah. The, the one thing with Alvarez is I, I really stu- do still believe like he could be a primary DH for that team. I really think mm-hmm. that would be where they would go. And those at bats cannot be lost. It's tough to say that any rookie who's a catcher is going to get all the extra at bats right away. So it's hard to project that, but I, I do think, a guy like him specifically is one I give a little bit extra credit for almost. I don't want to treat him quite like um, Dalton Varsho, you know, where it's like, Hey, he's another position and he'll play every day, but there's something about that. Like, I feel like the DH and his bat being in the lineup is super important where the Mets could still prioritize having like a main catcher. He's a secondary. And then they just get his bat in the lineup every single day as possible. Uh, but I thought this was a pretty good range. I think people would have been curious about that, but your third pick, Hit his first professional home run. Actually, as we're uh, recording this today, you got Jackson Holiday, and it actually leads to a bigger question as well. We talked about in these drafting the uh, the first year player guys. Sometimes feels like I had the exact same feeling. You're like, well, Jesus, no one's taking these guys. You feel like we're taking too many, and you don't want to be like, all right, hey, we get it. You like this draft class, but they tend to fall. People are not jumping in on them. But Jackson Holiday. You got in the, I guess that would be what, the 30s? I, my numbers are all screwed up here, so I don't have exactly where you took him in the 30s. I took, I took Colson Montgomery 32 and then Holiday 41, so right around the Okay, turn. so that's why it's screwed up. Okay, so it's screwed up. So you took Colson. Well, let's talk about Holiday, and then we'll talk about uh, Montgomery. So you even got a better deal on uh, on Holiday. But give me your thoughts on Holiday. Bats look really live. Looks like he's making good contact. Also, you don't have 
you know, Drew Holiday out there doing anything. Elijah Green has been a little bit quiet. Cam Collier has been pretty solid, but Jackson Holiday seems to be getting a couple highlight reels so far as one of the high school kids getting at bats. Yeah, the um, I mean, the grades on him are just are very strong. You know, tools wise, makeup wise, so you can draft him with confidence in any sort of these fantasy dynasty environments. In my opinion, I think he's. In terms of ceiling, I think he's just he's right up there with with Drew Jones among the best the best available players in this draft. So I, he's you, very excited, very excited to get him in the fourth round. Do you have Holiday uh, as far as first year player goes? Is he number two or is he number one? I haven't or really three. dug into that too much. I didn't have to make that choice in this one. I would I would probably go two at this stage. Jones, Drew, and being one, yeah, okay. But, so, but I think yeah. I think they're I think they're very close. I did too. I think. Um, I mean, I think Drew is, well, I, I should say this. I actually don't agree with that. I think Drew is the guy and he is his own tier. And then I think Holiday, Green, and Tamar are all kind of that tier. And and I think some people probably disagree with me with Tamar. Um, Green and Holiday have a lot of the speed factors that come in there. It's the bat that gets me just going with Tamar. But that's all, uh, and I know Carlos would agree with me. That's all like this clump of these really great players. And I think that was a really solid value and the five tool. And it's good to hear that, you know, there's a lot of positive uh, stuff out there. You know, there's a lot of positive vibes on. And, and seeing him hit the homer as well, there's a little bit of that, you know, like, oh, my God, this is a kid. This looks like a kid out there. <laughs> and getting to see it actually in play where I felt like there was so much more video on Tremar or Elijah Green or Drew Jones, getting to see Holiday out there I think is getting exciting. And he's showing off the the bat and the speed. So now talk about Colson Montgomery because Colson Montgomery, this is one of my favorites. And I love that you got him and I've moved him way, way up my boards, a little bit older as far as, you know, as a shortstop when he was drafted, kind of in that Bobby Witt range of like, you know, just a notch above the rest of these guys as far as age goes. But it has been nothing but hard hit. It's been nothing but success. And you took him in the third round. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, just really strong foundation, foundational power and skill ability. And, you know, some people doubt the shortstop, but it's probably 50-50 that he'll stay there or go to third base. But either way, I think we're looking at a um, a player who gets on base and hits for power, drives in runs. So here's something interesting. I'm looking at Baseball America's ranks, and you've got we got Churio at two. We've got Colson, so you kind of fell in line with that. Colson is inside the top th- uh, top 40, if you will. So he's right up in that range. And stuck in the middle... I think maybe you guys have probably heard about is you guys have Ellie in the twenties. How I think that probably sparks a whole illicit people freaking out and stuff like that. Where especially where Churio gets the next tier above, I actually feel like Churio and Coles Montgomery have been compared against each other so much. What do you think the gaps are between Churio to Ellie to Colson Montgomery? What do you think that looks like? Um, De La Cruz is just a, a fascinating player because you won't find that level of power and speed and arm strength. I mean, it's 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 the O'Neill Cruz starter kit. Like he's like potentially 99th percentile on all those yeah. tools. It's just ridiculous. The question is is hitting ability based on his strikeout rate, um, but the contact is so hard that he doesn't have to be a super high contact guy to get the most out of his ability. So like, so for me, I like him quite a bit. Like on my personal. 100, I think he'd be a little higher than where he settled on the BA one. But okay. what that ranking illustrates is is the hit risk. Yeah, which I, I mean, I'm kind of publicly critical about O'Neill Cruz in like the love that he got and yet he hits 220 or 210 and whatnot. Like 
even it's kind of like what you just said. You're like, oh, the guys hit the guys hit so hard they make up for it. Like O'Neill's not. O'Neill's not. Like <laughs> he's putting up huge counting stats. So what he's doing is he's making the absolute most of it. And if and when it clicks, it could be crazy. And that's sometimes the bet we're making. And I like that you said that because I think it is similar-ish to Ellie. The only difference is Ellie looks like he might be on a little bit of another plane as far as the contact that he makes. But, you know, we're at double A. We still have a long ways to go. It's just interesting seeing Ellie completely in a tier different than Churio. So what makes Colson Montgomery in the same general range in your mind, you know, in that 30s? Like, this is a big jump. I don't think people are prepared necessarily for the jump that Colson Montgomery is making. And you invested in him early. It's it's the confidence in his bat and the confidence in the scouting feedback we're hearing that he's that he's a dude. He's a dude. Yeah, he isn't. He's a he's an absolute dude. Now, is there any speed um, concerns or anything that takes you off of? I mean, Montgomery, I don't think has quite the strikeout issues that Ellie has or the contact to strikeout issues, which probably makes him safer there. But you don't see the impactful speed. No, definitely not. <laughs> he okay. is he's a shortstop, but he's not a runner. He's like. Uh, you know, the, the popular comp, if you want to go high in the sky, would be Corey Seager. But I don't think he's yeah. good, that good of a hitter. But I think he's that's the natural comparison point. We've heard that. Uh, you took a couple Mets, Brett Beatty and Kevin Parada, uh, both solid ones. You were the most aggressive of anybody on Kevin Parada. And I'm pretty aggressive on Parada. But of all the all, all the drafts, you took him the highest of anybody. Beatty looks like an absolute... Uh, steal of a pick in both of these. So talk to me about both of these Mets players. Yeah. I thought, I thought Beatty at 56 overall was really strong value for a, you know, probably a top 30 prospect with major league proximity value and, and lots of offensive upside. I really liked that one. It's kind of surprised he was there. Um, Parada, you know, it's, it's a risk taking the college catcher. They do tend to be overdrafted in the MLB draft, but I think this... you didn't take Alvarez earlier, but then you took Parada. <laughs> Yeah, and like, and to your point earlier, like, if this guy's not a catcher, so what? He's a DH, and potentially he's a first baseman. You know, um, it's it's a rare combination of, of of frequency of contact and 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 impact is really what it is. I think he had more home runs than strikeouts at, at Georgia Tech. Um, so you're really getting a guy with a, a strong understanding of the zone, with power, with field to hit, and probably will stick behind the plate. Yeah. And I mean, I think he's the guy that becomes a catcher more over Alvarez. And what would be fun to see is if on days that Parada doesn't catch, does he go in DH and then Alvarez comes over and catches uh, or, you know, does Parada fall a little bit more into the, the true catcher role where he misses a little bit more significant amount of games, which would kind of be a negative. Um, so that was you have two of the uh, first year player guys taken. You got another Zach Neto who, you know, one thing I feel really good about is how vocal I was during the draft and before about Neto. Love this kid. Um, some of the, you know, I saw some of that high leg kick that was like Royce Lewis-ish. Um, mm -hmm. I thought the upside on him was higher than a Brooks Lee, where Brooks Lee is a big floor guy with good power, but Neto is a potential five-tool player. And boy, does it look like he has gotten the calling. And the Angels doing the weird stuff too with like the double-A call-up seems really hyper aggressive, but you got Neto in here. And I really, really love that pick. He had a, um, I think he ended up having around an 80, 80 P on this and Parada was in the 70s. So you kind of reached on Parada, but you got Neto in a really good sweet spot. Yeah. Big on Neto. I'm going to stay at shortstop. Going to hit. He's got the kick, like you mentioned, but he does tone it down with two strikes. Um, just, just great barrel, 
great barrel control. He showed it in the Cape last year and his junior year. And I was a pro. I mean, it, it's there. It's so funny because I've talked about this like four different times. I am so enamored with Neto and how he does that, where the people have never watched him go and watch. So like the first couple of bats, I, I honestly, I hope he comes out to the AFL. I'd love to watch him more in person. If not, I'm going to go to angels instructs is like, it is a big Royce Lewis, like leg kick. And then as soon as the two strikes come in, that leg is stiff. It doesn't go mm-hmm. anywhere. It is. There's no upper kick. It is like, it, it's the leg version of choking up on the bat. It's wild. Mm-hmm. And he really has an, um, it seems like an advanced two strike approach and, you know, not being over hyper aggressive. And it's just, it's just one of those little tiny intangible things where you're like, we're always looking at guys. always like looking at guys that have hitch. I think of Adam Hazley is the first person that comes to mind where he had this weird, like hitch in his swing. And you look at those hitches and you're like, mm. You know, that's something when guys get high velocity on you, like that hitch is not going to help you. We always focus on those things. I don't feel like we focus enough on like the positive hitches. And that's like a positive thing. That's a positive hitch of like two strikes come in, leg kick goes, he's going to a contact approach and he has enough power to mm-hmm. still push the ball. Uh, that I really like, I really like Neto and I love that one. Uh, moving through Hunter Brown was your, it looks like your first pitcher taken. And boy, do I like that. I told you off air, like, geez, I really liked your team. The more I've had time to process it. Um, Hunter Brown, your first push at pitcher. Talk to me about what had you getting him. Yeah. Um, Brown has outstanding stuff and, and always has, you know, since he's been a pro in particular, um, it seems like the command has come up a little bit. He still walks four per nine at triple a. So that's, that's an indicator that we might be looking at a reliever, but the Astros have such a good track record with pitchers who are hard to hit. And I think they're going to find a role for Brown. That's going to be traditional starter. Or maybe, maybe is a, is a is a piggyback or, or something something that's going to bring out the best in him. That's not going to be a strict one inning role. Maybe as he moves toward traditional starting in the future. Yeah, I really want to believe that he's going to be a full on starter. He started uh, or he's been in twenty one games this year. He started thirteen. He's got a two four nine ERA, one hundred twenty six strikeouts in ninety seven or ninety six. Yeah, ninety seven innings. But it is something you got to be careful about. He's got a couple holds, couple saves. When was that more reliever transition? Was that later into this year in a innings management, or was it early? I don't think I've. Uh, I mean, I can take a look at the game log. But yeah, it did, I would. It would seem to be in their best interest to get him ready for a postseason bullpen role. So I think that you know makes a lot of sense for this season. Yeah, and I'm looking. So here's the deal. So looking at his game log, it looks like twice, once to twice a month, they don't start him. So check this out. Uh, he So in the first month, he had a start coming out the gates where he went three and two thirds, but then they had a, a quote non-start, but he went five innings. And then it was start, start. Next time up, a non-start, he goes five innings. He had a start where he went one, where he gave up, uh, didn't really give up a bunch of earned runs. I'm trying to look. There's not a lot of traditional ones in the month of June. He had six starts or six games pitched and only three of them went to five innings. The rest were under kind of same thing in July, only three games, two of the three were under, but then now in August he's gone six again. So they really, I don't know if this is a innings management standpoint. So it might be a little bit misleading when we looked at only you know 13 of 29 games were starts. It's just he's also popped into uh, he's had start like performances. He's just kind of an oddity in there where there are some like reliever risks because, again, he's he's given a couple holds and a save. But I love the stuff. I think it's big, overpowering stuff, big strikeouts. I, I just love that pick of yours, I guess, was my biggest point uh, on there. So keep an eye out for him. 
Um, this is the last one we're going to go into major, major breakdown about, and then we'll just kind of burn through a couple last questions. Anthony Gutierrez with the Rangers, who I actually just got to see uh, like a week and a half ago out here. Anthony Gutierrez, I've seen some pretty big comp things put on him. Uh, he's had massive success so far in um, in complex league. Let me pull up his stats here. He's not even 18 years old. I, I kind of mentioned he's got kind of a wiry body if people are like almost like an Alex Ramirez body in person. If you see him, uh, they list him at 6'3", 180. Four homers, 10 stolen bases, hitting 352 hits and 167 at-bats out here in comp. Well, I guess the whole thing hasn't been in complex. There's a little bit of DSL. Since he's been in complex, overall, he's hit 263 homer, five stolen bases out here. And, you know, he seems to be a very popular. Now everyone's going to be trying to find the next Churio. And he seems to be one of the top guys that is the, quote, next Churio. What made you target uh, Anthony Gutierrez? Because I don't believe... Let me look and I'll let you answer this. I don't. Oh, no, he did. Okay, never mind. I was going to say, I don't think he went in every single draft. He's one of those. He went three of the four people that took him were industry people, James, Alex, and you. And then in my league, um, he went the second lowest. It was a non-industry person. So talk to me about Anthony Gutierrez. Yeah, there are people who really, really, really believe Gutierrez is a future, you know, top prospect and future major league star. Um, th this was largely a dart throw as a nod to the incredible athletic ability and tools, um, you know, and, and age to level. He's already very advanced to be 17 in the U S you know, you don't just hand a, a, a U.S. visa to a guy you don't believe is a, is a prospect in his debut season. So there's a lot to like there. I mean, there's, there's a lot to be concerned with too. walk out to strike uh, strike out to walk. Isn't very good right now. He's so young, but I think, the tools are, are such that it's worth taking a shot here around pick 100. I had no no issue with doing doing that. The the last few in here, I'm going to just roll these out. Colt Keith, Michael Massey, Connor Hajerby, uh, you got Jet Williams, Cade Horton, and Sterling Thompson. You had you got the best deal on Massey of anyone, and you were the most aggressive on Jet Williams. Uh, surprising too, because that's James's guy. I think you might have also registered the Sterling Thompson one. I just may not have written that. Do you have any takes? Uh, was there any of those that were favorites of yours or you you know, got sniped and you went in? I have to imagine Jet is going to be in there, but Colt Keith, Massey, Hajerpy, Jet Williams, Cade Horton, and Thompson finished out your 15-team prospect draft. Yeah, Jet Williams is, is fascinating. Um, he's, a, he's a talented prospect, kind of plays with a chip on his shoulder. You know, he's, like, he's listed at 5'8", I believe, so... He's got the tools. There's some skepticism about the power, but I think he's just got that right level of, of, of chip on his shoulder, I think, to make it work with his, his, his ability. Um, Sterling Thompson, um, good bat, good-looking swing, hoping the Rockies' favorable parks and then Major League Park help him get the most out of the power, but it's really more of a hit over power right now. Um, interesting player. You know, Jerpy's got the great command and interesting arm angle potential to move quickly to the major leagues <laughs> and a great destination as well uh, on this team. Give me your favorite pick based on whatever. Um, I prefer not say Cheerio because obviously that's great. Mm -hmm. like the non Cheerio, your favorite pick based maybe on value or projection, whatever it is, and your least favorite of your picks. Probably the best value. I think when we look at this in the future, I think the best values are probably Jackson holiday, 41, uh, Brett Beatty, 56. I think those are probably the best values. You know, there's a case to be made for Zach Neto at 80. 
Um, least favorite, you know, as much as I like Jerpy as, as a prospect, him and Cade Horton, the Cubs, who the Cubs took seventh overall. You know, I was just trying to round out some interesting college arms for my my farm system, but you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they were not um, like major league superstars. Now, is there anybody that uh, you were kicking yourself that you didn't get? You talked about getting sniped. What was it, Marcella Mayer earlier? Yeah. Was there was there a couple guys that uh, you know just stung and stuck with you at the end that you were like, I really wish I would have got you know this guy and this guy. Uh, anyone you recall? Mayer is the big one. Um, because he was right there, one, one pick away. I don't recall. I'd have to go back and look at it more closely. But yeah, that's Mayer's okay. I mean, yeah, I just always think it's interesting for people to know, like anyone that was missed that they may have really wanted. Uh, at the end of the day, what did uh, final like thoughts on the process of it in your league? I mean, did you find it extra informative? Do you think this is something that is going to help? Um, kind of mold some of the thought process was there even any like big deals you know that was something james brought to me that it was like you know he uses this sometimes to be like hey there's an industry-wide thought that this guy and this guy might be a really big deal just any final thoughts on uh, the uh, p180p that you put together or the draw or your league itself yeah i think this is really illustrative of of where to fit the draft picks in i think that's the, the biggest value this has you know because we've We've skimmed the top prospects like J-Rod and Witt and Rutschman right off the top, and now we're picking from the guys who are going to be next year's 100 plus the draft picks. I think that's cool to get an early sense of how how that's going to line up. I like it. Uh, Matt Eddy, Matt Eddy, BA. What's going on over at uh, Baseball America? Anything you got to promote? Uh, podcasts, articles, end of season? What's going on? Well, we are deep into the process of, of best tools where we you know pull all the, the major league and minor league managers most talented players we analyze and review some of the players um and then you know it's it's right on to um prospect season ranking the, the top 10 first in each system and then the top 30 for the prospect handbook it is freaking prospect season and it's not even over afl is going to be starting up uh all the conferences going on extra baseball prospect books all the craziness and you definitely want to be over at Baseball America to check it out. You guys can sign up today, support all the great work that the whole team is doing with all the lists. Uh, Matt has been one of the biggest forces in bringing more fantasy content, content over to Baseball America, which I think is a huge added value. So go, guys, go and check it out. Matt, thank you so much, my friend, for taking part and talking with me on a little uh, P180Ps. Thanks, Chris, for having me. There you go, Matt Eddy in the house. Let's kick it over. We're going to League 3. This is Air Cross. Me and Air Cross breaking down his teams, his valuations, what worked, what didn't work, how he liked this, and, uh, you know, would he do anything different? It's Eric Cross, uh, League 3, for the Midseason Prospect 1 ADP Breakdown. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Prospect one. Jumping on now, we've got Eric Cross on Twitter at EricCross04. The man, the leader, the myth, the legend, the uh, the boss. I don't know. All the stuff at Fantrax. He is Fantrax. <laughs> like, if there was a mascot, we're doing a mascot series. That is Eric Cross. He is the face of the organization. He is the Ronald Acuna of them. You would have said Tatis. He's the face of Fantrax. Eric Cross, what's up, buddy? I was just working. I was alive working through that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you want to go with Tatis right now with all the uh, stuff going on with him, but yeah, yeah. I'll take a cool, I'll take the the uh, the Ronald Acuna. There you go. That works like for me. How, you, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. How are you doing, brother? Doing doing well, man. No complaints. You know, summer's chugging along. Kids are almost back in school, and yeah, it's just having some fun. Six weeks to AFL. Six weeks till I guess it will be about two months before I see you, but it's yep. six weeks to AFL and about two two and a half months. I'll be. Uh, getting to hang with you, catch some games, and hopefully doing another live podcast with uh, Cross <laughs> and Clegg, which I enjoy doing. If you guys never heard that, go back and listen. And Cross is uh, obviously just one of my besties out here, and I appreciate you taking part. You're always willing uh, for any of this stuff. And you took part in the P1 ADP drafts, and you helped curate this ADP with some of your drafting skills. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to be taking a look at yours. You is a pre-teaser. We're the most aggressive on four players that we're going to talk about. No one was more aggressive on these four players than you, but you also got two of the best smoking deals of two players in any other league, plus your entire roster construction. It's just interesting in general for people to take a look at. And it looks like you continue to trend that I want to point out carrying over. People didn't get this. I actually talked with Matt Eddie about this when we got off air. But you've so far carried a trend. I did not pre-do this and look if all of the industry people have done this, but you continue the no more than three pitcher trend as far as uh, players that were taken. And we will talk about those guys. I'm trying to relook to make sure I'm not talking out of turn, which I'm not. You took three pitchers and we are going to talk about those. And I have not seen, I think uh, James so far has taken, he took one. I took three. Eddie took three. And you took three. Kind of a pre cursor pre-plan to it did you come into drafting a prospect system knowing you didn't want to have enough pitchers i know some people will be like i want like a 60 30 you know 66 33 mix of pitcher to hitter some just want best available doesn't matter how it rolls out i mean did you have any type of pre-plan to how you were going to construct a you know the assumption here is this is a dynasty blah 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 now you're drafting your minor league system whether it's proximity future talent pitching what were the uh, incoming plans yeah i didn't have like a concrete number in mind but you know i did that three is kind of like a magic number i used to be like a 70 30 split guy i've kind of more gone to 75 25 or even like 80 20 in that range and i knew i wanted i have like a discernible top tier of pitching prospects in my own rankings i knew like all right i want to get i think somebody else i forget who did this last year. They took two really good pitchers early, like within the first five rounds or so, and then kind of just like maybe got one or two more later upside plays. I'm like, ah, I kind of like that strategy. So I was kind of had that at the back of my mind, got two from my top tier, uh, and I think it was rounds three and four. And yeah, we'll talk about like, those. Yeah, you were one of the few yeah. that that's the interesting tease here is you took, yes, only three pitchers, but you took, they think, 
two of them in the top four picks. So you went heavy yep. investment. You went elite investment on them. Yeah, and I, I so I kind of wanted, wanted to do. I got two from that top tier I was mentioning, and they're both, you know, one's currently double A, the other's currently triple A. So I'm like, all right, these are guys that are both proximity, a little closer, so I can feel good about them being, you know, pretty productive major league arms. You could kind of look at your team and you could see the proximity build, I suppose, inside of it. I would say there's like two far range guys at best. And there's a, so, I mean, was there any concerted like, hey, I want to have guys that are within 18 months or whatever of making the major leagues? Or did it just kind of fall out that way? Because there's arguable ones in here when we get to them, you could say like, is that guy really 18 months? But for the most part, like, this is, it's not older, but this is a higher leveled class of players that are probably like high A that could be jumping to double A soon or already double A type of players um, that you constructed. It's a little, I think it's like, you know, two of 15 are probably like of real, real youth. Yeah, that'd probably be my second round pick and my very last pick that are a few years away. That wasn't really the plan going in. You know, I, I like to have a nice little mix of guys that are near ready and maybe more of the upside long plays, but. This is kind of how the draft board went is a lot of these guys that I like just kind of kept following some of the, the, the college guys from this last draft class, got a few of them. Some of the just the you know, not sexy guys like Austin Wells, for instance, he kind of fell further than I thought. So, yeah, this is kind of how the draft board went. Yeah. Oh, and uh, I think we talked about this before. I think we have three players now that I'm looking at it, three players that we shared. And we'll talk about that. Um, it's always fun to kind of look and see like what industry people were having the same players. And we drafted three, if I'm remembering correctly, my own roster. I know two for sure. Um, but uh, I mean, I'll say Austin Wells, I think was one that I took. So yeah, and I did. So, uh, we have three players that we shared Austin Wells being one of them. So let's just jump right into it. You have the 11th pick. So you're kind of on the wheel here and you went with Ezekiel Tovar. Now on the, Overall ADP, Tovar was, I think he had an ADP of 12, but I think it put him like right at 11 if you do the numerical stuff, or maybe it was 12 right there. But um, he uh, he actually made a dip from fall to the February ADP. He fell kind of backwards, and then obviously he had one of the biggest jumps anybody uh, has seen. You didn't draft him the highest. Uh, that was Eddie Almanker. You kind of got him in the middle. He had two other spots, Chris Clegg, Frank Stamfel, and Tovar was one of five players that I found in, I think, the entire top 200, at least the top 100, that were drafted by all industry players. I don't know if you <laughs> heard me talk about that. Every industry person in all four leagues or all four leagues, one industry person took Tovar. No one else had a chance, and he went between 8 and 15. So talk about... You know, you passed on, if people want to get into conversation about it, you passed on a couple of the first-year players. You passed on Yuri Perez. I'm trying to see if there's any others. I mean, there's a couple of guys that have jumped after the fact, and like James Wood, I think George Flair belongs in there. But talk to me what the process was with Tofar at 11. Yeah, I kind of had a feeling when I saw my draft spot that I would get one of like maybe four or five guys. I thought either uh, Tovar, maybe Churio, Hassel, or uh, Ellie or Lawler. I was like, that one of that cluster is probably going to fall to me. I was hoping for more like Ellie, maybe people be scared of the K rate, whatever, or Lawler. Maybe people just haven't caught up to how good Jordan Lawler actually is. I know you know that. Uh, I know you and I have both been very high on Lawler for a long time, yeah. but I knew I'd get probably one of those guys. Or maybe a G Rod would fall. He went fifth overall, but. Um, yeah, that was, yeah, kind of, actually, yeah. I want to talk about that in a second, the G Rod thing. So sorry, I, I interrupted you. But so you, you had, you were, there's a hopefulness of like, 
maybe a Hassel, maybe a Lawler, maybe in some yeah. world Churio or something like that. And as I'm looking at your draft board, it really, I mean, it's kind of a worst case scenario of anything. Like nothing fell to you. Even Miguel Vargas went one uh, spot in front of you to Alex Jensen. So you had nothing fall your way. Did you felt? Did you feel like this is a slighted thing? Like, crap, I didn't get the elite. Or do you put, like I had mentioned in an episode uh, before that, I don't have Tovar in that like unanimous top 10. Like James and I talked about, there's a 10 that exists. There's a 10 that is kind of like interchangeable. Me and him have him in there. The ADP put them out. It's kind of the same guys, but Tovar isn't one of those. Do you think Tovar belongs into that top 10 or is he like that next tier outside? As, and obviously you got him at 11. Yeah, I think he does. You know, I have him, I believe, out of, uh, yeah, I have him at nine overall in my rankings right now. Yeah, I think he's definitely in that cluster. I saw him live a handful of times earlier in the year, and I was really, really impressed with, with what I saw from him. Yeah, there's that, you know, always that r- rocky stigma, good or bad, that goes around with these guys. And, you know, but I, I see a good hit tool there. Maybe he won't be a, a super high OBP guy, but good average. I think he can be, you know, 18, 20 home runs and 20 plus deals as well with that nice little Coors Field Babbitt boost. So, yeah, I think he should, absolutely should. I can see why others wouldn't. Um, I have no, you know, objections to. You want to put him in that next tier? I can see it, but for me, he is. Uh, two hundred sixty-four at bats, hitting three eighteen, thirteen homers, seventeen stolen bases, but he has not played since June 29th. That was his last game. With really, we don't. I haven't even heard official word of what the injury was. I was told that he is around, though. The yard goats. Um, I don't know the, the case. I've just I had mentioned it, and someone said like, "Oh, he's been here." for a week and a half, just kind of around, but I don't know what he's doing. And I, I thought it was a hand injury that I heard about. I've been speculating in the next week or so, if it doesn't get released, I'm going to do my AFL preview of, uh, you know, the guess, the guessing game I do for who could come. I think Tovar is another one of those guys. I think yeah. he can come back. I mean, he's missed significant at bats this season. I mean, he's missed, he's, I mean, he's closing in on an, two months of missed time. That's significant for a guy that's at double a, that they would want to be pushing soon. He'd be playing at his home ballpark in Arizona at Salt River Fields, where the Rockies also play. He played last year, but plenty of guys will do double dip on years. I think he's a prime example of a guy to come back. And he's kind of like, um, he's kind of faded in the excitement of, like Tovar was the first of the Cheerios and the Ellie's, I think this year, like Tovar just went mm-hmm. bonkers and everyone was like, holy crap, you know, Tovar over Noelvi. But, he simmered a, 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 the tattest of tad bits, and then he's just been off everybody's radar for almost two months. So I think there's a little bit of a cooling factor that um, doesn't get him in that top 10, but he's kind of in that discussion. I do feel like he's a de, de, de facto, defunct type of guy. Like, it's like, you don't get the top 10, and you're like, all right, well, I'll get Tovar. Like, I don't think I feel that's, incredibly that's fair, excited yeah. about him. I like the hit tool. Um, body's developing a bit. Maybe I'm weirdly not believing in, like, big power or impact stolen bases or something like that. And I shouldn't because like, I'm such a defender of Corbin Carroll, but uh, I'm not the world's biggest, biggest Tovar guy like everybody else, but you couldn't have been disappointed. You obviously weren't disappointed at 11. No, like I said, there's maybe a little bit, a little sexier to get Ellie or Lawler or one of those guys, but yeah, no, uh, no complaints for getting Tovar there. So the second round pick you and I share, you also got the best deal on this player of anybody in the four drafts. And it was Drew Jones. This is one of, uh, Three, now you know two, Austin Wells and Drew Jones. You and I both drafted. Uh, I am a big hype train Drew Jones guy. And where are you standing? Because I, you can correct me, but I felt like when we talked some time back, everything changes, but some time back you weren't uh, Drew Jones number one overall. You were Elijah Green. 
And I think Drew was two. And then I think he had like DeLoud or like in top five or whatever. And you can correct me if I'm if I'm mistaken about it. But I thought you had Elijah Green one and you jumped in on Drew Jones. Have you swapped or am I getting it wrong? No, you you are 100% right. When I okay. first kind of put up my rankings for FYPD, I did have Green. It's always really been 1A and 1B scenario for the most part. I've always loved both of them. I, did I had Green. Green. I think I pointed out to you, I had Green last year, like coming into this year. Green was my number one, too, by the way. I just want to point yeah. out, like, he's an insanely, insanely tough. I turned, though, but I had Green at one for some time over this last 14 months of uh, holding on to rankings with him. Yeah, yeah, I, I probably made the switch if I had the guess. Probably back in the you know March area, I went over to Drew Jones number. I still have Green number two, and they're the clear cut top tier. I know some others have you know Tremar Johnson up there or Jackson Holiday. Mm-hmm. I don't. I think it's those two, and then there's a uh, all the other guys in that next tier. Okay, so you moved into Drew Jones being the top first year player guy, which the ADPs kind of consensusly told us because there's like a huge gap between uh, two, three, and four at least as far as what the averages came out with. So was this a slam dunk? I mean, I took him in the first round. He was my first pick. And I kind of had a moment in my draft because I was looking at Ellie and Churio. Those were I was looking at because I had like the eight or ninth pick or whatever. And both didn't make it back to me. I have George Valera very high. Uh, there were a couple other really good players in there. But ultimately, I was like, I don't think the slide is going to come back. I want Drew Jones, even though he's a first-year player. I think this is a... 12 months, we might be talking about the first overall prospect yep. in baseball. And I think the talent is through the freaking roof, regardless of the stupid surgery or whatever. So I I got my guy, you know, screw it on the values. I want to make sure I got my guy. And funny enough, I wanted Valera. I'm the highest person on Valera, and I got him in the next round. I, I was not aware of the fall that was going to kind of happen with Valera. So it worked out in just making sure that I pinpointed my player. Was this like, holy crap, I'm getting Drew Jones. People are sleeping on him. You got the best deal of anybody. I shouldn't be getting him in the third, a second round. Or was this kind of a resigned of like, hey, listen, you know, the guys that have gone, I mean, because what, what happened after your Tovar, it went Yuri Perez, Pete Crow was the back-to-back by Jordan Miller. You took Drew Jones and Marcelo Mayer was on the board. Noel V. Marte was on the board. Valera, uh, I mean, Jackson Holiday. There were some great players. Was this a slam dunk for you? Pretty close to a slam dunk. I'll call it a layup. I won't go like a full like two hand tomahawk slam dunk. But like, yeah. were you hoping I, Yuri was going to be there? Were you hoping Yuri was going to come back on the swing, or did you have any no. hope of anybody? I I want to if Yuri was there, I wouldn't have taken him. I have Yuri ranked, I think around like twenty or so, and I still have Daniel Espino, even though Espino hasn't pitched since like May or something like that ahead of Yuri Perez. So uh, I'm not. I think I'm a, a smidge lower on Yuri Perez. Obviously, yeah, he's you a and I are both, but, I guess, a little low. I didn't realize anyone was with me on kind of the not. Not trying to be like, ooh, I'm low, but like, right, you know, he's not right. a top 10 prospect in my mind. No, exactly. So I'm like, I think 2021, 20, somewhere in that range. And the only the only one, other ones I thought about for a quick second were Novi Marte. Obviously, I've been a big Marte guy for a while. Slow start, come on lately. And I did think about James Wood, but I, I thought that was a bit too early for him. If I did it now, maybe I could have put a little more thought into James Wood. But yeah, it was pretty easy to go. Drew Jones there, and I, I'm not worried by the shoulder injury at all. We saw, you know, Carroll had shoulder issue. Lawler, it's like an Arizona thing, I guess. I don't know. They have a thing out there with yes, shoulders. Seriously, dude. Right, but like it, those guys have been fine. We've seen that, and the talent is just so. I I, I agree 110. percent This could be the number one fantasy prospect, you know, by the end of next season. Uh, you bring up a really good question. I actually wish I had asked Matt this. Now, uh, hindsight, is there anything you would do different? Let's say the draft lines out the same way. 
you have the 11th pick. Are you taking Tovar? And if you come back, are you still taking Drew Jones? Knowing, like, I feel like perception after this changed on James Wood moving up. You've got Von Grissom, who's moved up. Would you change anything if it worked out the exact same? Like, you could take Tovar at 11, and then assuming Yuri and Pete Crow, I guess if you don't take Tovar, let's assume Yuri and Tovar go next. Would you do your first and second pick the exact same? Probably the only one that I could see sneaking up into the, into that range for me would have been James Wood. I don't see, I still kind of feel the same about all the other guys that went right after those two picks, but yeah, James Wood would have been someone I thought long and hard about more than I did at that current point in time. This is what back in like July, this might forget when we did this. This is like exactly. right after the draft. Yeah. This is, this, this okay, is yeah. like, uh, you know, mid July or so almost a month ago. Yeah, so James Wood would have been definitely in more consideration than he was for me at that point in time. But, but you still I probably, have taken I, Drew? I still have taken Drew, yeah. Yeah, okay. So now is where this is something you did interesting. You invested in two pitchers. So you start a very strong start, by the way. Tovar and Drew Jones is killer. And then you came in, and you were the uh, most aggressive of any person on Taj Bradley. And you took Kyle Harrison. So you you know by like where you were drafting, these weren't like quite back-to-back picks. But with the 35th pick, you took uh, Taj Bradley. And with the 38th pick, you took Kyle Harrison. In between that, probably hurt your soul a little bit as Tristan Casas and um, Gavin Williams went. So let's start before any of the, uh, maybe you would have rather done something else. Talk to me about the two-pitcher investment at the top. Yeah, that was that was really the plan going in. I thought I knew I probably wouldn't get, you know, it's the I would get G Rod or a Spino or a Yuri. I know they'd go first two rounds. Didn't want to go pitch the first two rounds. Like that three, four, five round range was kind of like the sweet spot I had in mind. And that's kind of how it worked out. I saw I Taj Bradley uh, is number four for me. I love Taj Bradley. I think he's incredibly underrated. Yeah, he's kind of scuffled a little bit the last month at AAA, but very much a believer long term. I think he's got high-end sp2 upside maybe not front line but very high fl- floor as well and then kyle harrison this is even before i saw him i probably would have taken harrison uh, maybe ahead of bradley if i saw H- harrison live <laughs> before this draft and harrison is absolutely you know nasty three i think potential plus offerings in, in the fastball to change up in the slider and he's making some strides with that you know command and control yeah gavin williams is in that mix for me too it's after he went I almost was debating waiting to around five. So the next round uh, for my second pitcher, but I saw Gavin Williams one. I was like, ah, maybe they're going to be a little bit of a, a starter run. And yeah, Tiedemann went shortly after that, who I would have taken again, if I had seen him live, I would have taken Tiedemann higher there too. But yeah, I took yeah. him in the third round. That was like my big yeah. investment in one pitcher. And then I waited quite a bit. I probably would have won. I saw Tiedemann, well, same game. It was Tiedemann versus Kyle Harris and probably the best matchup, you know, I've seen. Uh, if you're talking about the two pitchers in the same yeah, game. Yeah, I but. saw you, dude. I saw you tweet about that. And I was like, God, I'm so jealous of Eric. Like, like I know I get to elicit some jealousy for a lot of people because, you know, complex and like I can be right. like, hey, everybody, look, Josh Young is rehabbing and stuff like that. But just so you get to like, you get to feed on this a little bit. I saw that and I was like, oh, yeah, I am that jealous was- of Eric right now. That was insane. I, I knew Harrison was lined up, and then it was like Tiedemann should go somewhere around that. I was hoping that it would line up, and it did. And I, I even had my kids. It's a two-hour drive, but I was like, it's worth it. I knew they were only going like three, four innings. But Who did you yes. like more? Did you like Tiedemann over um, Harrison? A, a smidge, yeah. I, they were both very, very impressive, but Tiedemann is just so – like I said, he's the best pitching prospect I've seen live over the last, like let's say, 
five years outside of Grayson Rodriguez, who I saw last year. So see, he's this a, is this is I great confirmation him. because I've got I've moved uh, I moved Ricky to my third overall SP of prospects. He's my number three, and I don't I don't know. Maybe I'm on. I feel like I'm on like it's not an island because you don't want to be dramatic about it because at the end of the day, like I think there's about. 10 to 11 pitchers that kind of live in that top 50 range uh, for most prospect people. And then I think there's a pretty big gap and you could throw another player or two. Like I think like Tink hence kind of like teeters mm-hmm. in that general area. Like James might have them really high. I might have them a tiny bit lower or something like that, but like there's the same grouping wherever the, the thing is. So I don't want to be dramatic. Like, Ooh, look at me. I got Ricky, but <laughs> I love him. I love him. Yeah. I think there's shades of absolute eliteness. There's like a, you know, uh, opposite hand, uh, uh, McClanahan that I see in there. There's just big strikeouts, strides on not walking as much. Like, I like Carl Harrison a lot, but it's just, it's good to hear some confirmation that, like, Ricky would have been the dude because I think I might have been the most aggressive on him in any of the drafts. And I felt like that, that in what we've seen after the fact and hearing stuff like that is a good confirmation that, like, this is a big, booming, different valued pitcher that people need to get ready for. Absolutely. Like I said, he w- his stuff was just as good or maybe even a tick better than Harrison and just the feel like this. He was so advanced, like the command and control, I think is a full grade ahead of Harrison right now. It's just so advanced for his age, 20 years old. First, it was his double A debut, no less. And yeah, he just looked like he belonged. He knew like, all right, I'm good. I'm going to mow you guys down. Nothing you can do about it. He had that confidence, that swagger. Yeah, all the things you want. From a you know potential future frontline guy, he has man. It's just, it was so impressive. I love hearing that. But you got like, if I'm gonna do this, I want one of the elite guys. If I'm gonna make the investment, I did it with Ricky on one side. You did it for two. I think it's a pretty interesting play because I kind of think there's a little. I don't want to make too much about it, but there's like a little bit of a dead zone in that like thirty to fifty range of prospects. There's some great guys in there. I actually think this ADP pushed some players up that are a little bit better. Maybe the dead zone sometimes is like our own personal ranks of like not wanting to give up on play. Like you see like Brian Rocchio and um, actually Kate Cavalli went really high in your guys' draft, Colton Kowser. But then, you know, sometimes you also had a couple exciting guys like Gabriel Gonzalez went inside the top 50 of yours. So did Edwin Arroyo. But there can be that like deadish thing that happens where it's like, I like these guys, but I don't love these guys. So to get like elite mm. pitchers like you did to get two of them and be like, this is the anchor of my, my minor league system to have two aces when you could argue there's a lot of prospects on the same plane, whether the upside or floor kind of evens them out. I love what you did. I would have liked to have that opportunity. Um, mine just didn't work out like that. And Ricky was just kind of like one of the few elite guys, but between the three of us, I mean, I think or between the two of us, we got three of the top, probably six or seven overall SPs um, across two different leagues. Yeah, absolutely. And I said, you, you said it earlier, right? That back ends, you know, another handful of rounds later, I was didn't like any of the pitchers I would have probably targeted there. I knew we're going to go like Tink Hans, for example, would probably go even higher than I would have targeted them. So I'm like, all right, I'm probably not going to get any pitchers there that, that I want. So I'm like, I right, let's double up here and then just, hammer bats the rest of the way and then if i get another pitching value that i like i'll jump on that but i, I knew like after these two i'm like all right hammering bats for the foreseeable future one of the reasons i really like that as well is the just kind of like um fatigue that people are getting and you got uh, a guy that this was our third share that we were together with 
in Nick Gonzalez. You got the second lowest. I think I got him at the lowest cost of anybody. I was telling you off air, you and I both got him in the 50s where he went in the 30s in the other draft. There's a fatigue that people have because he hasn't been the most dominant and suffered injuries and stuff like that. But Nick Gonzalez is a dude and you got him in your fifth to sixth swing where you also got uh, Rafaela, setting Rafaela. So walk us through those two. I think you got a, I think you got a great deal, especially when you invested in pitching. Cause I, I mean, like I obviously agree. I took Nick Gonzalez and Rafaela, you got your guy there. So talk to me about both of the upside and why you took him. Yeah. With Gonzalez, I think people are overreacting a bit to a 51 game sample size this year where, yeah, you know, the, the stat line isn't the greatest. It kind of, it's kind of regressed a bit across the board, especially off at the plate, but it's only 51 games. Look at he did last year, 303, 385, 565, 18 home runs, seven steals, and 80 games. And yeah, there's, you know, there's a bit of a swing and miss issue, but the walk rate's really solid. I still think the contact skills and power are solid as well. I think it may be at Pittsburgh fatigue. I don't know. Pittsburgh, people just don't like Pittsburgh prospects for some odd reason. They always get a little bit devalued, I feel. But yeah, so I see why people have moved him down their rankings. I, I even have as well. I think I probably moved him. Yeah, about 15, 20 spots, nothing big over the course of the season due to the struggles and whatnot and the time missed. But I still think he's, you know, a borderline top 50 prospect. I think there's still a good all around fantasy kind of profile here. So I really liked where I got him uh, in that five, six swing for sure. And then Rafaela, I'm probably, I bet I was probably higher than the ADP on Rafaela. As I think just by looking at others' rankings, I'm a bit higher than him. In, where do you in have him? Uh, that's a good question. Like, I have to, you have to give the exact number or anything, but like top 50, top 40. I, I think, top, he, I think, I think he is top 50 for me because I I've seen him. He's currently in my home ballpark here in Portland, Maine. So I've seen him a bunch live and, you know, Chris Clegg did as well. I actually have him 35 as a little higher than I thought I had him. Oh but, okay, yeah. Cause his ADP was his true ADP. I just want to remind people just because the true ADP doesn't equate to uh, what the ADP comes out because you could have like six players that have a 63.4 or something, but his true ADP was 63.8. So what he finished out, I have this sorted incorrectly. So I can't tell you what it is, but it's right around that exact ADP. But the numerical thing was 63.8 where you got him. So yeah, that was like a huge value based on your own personal uh, value system. Yeah. And I guess I could have taken him a couple of rounds earlier, but I knew he'd fall. That's one of the things that you got to, yeah, I stick to my rankings you know, a fair bit, but also know your rankings kind of in comparison to the general kind of consensus. Like, all right, I know I'm higher than most on Rafaela. I know he'll probably fall. I can wait another round or two on him. But yeah. I've seen this stuff. See, I've seen him probably at least a dozen times at this point over the last handful of months since he got called up here back in, I believe it was late May. And the defense is really good. That's got to carry him to the major leagues. I know it doesn't count for fantasy, but there's good speed there. There's a little bit of a swing and miss, a little bit of aggressive you know, approach, but contact skills are solid. There's good pop there. Like I think he's 15 plus home runs, 20 plus steals, a solid average. Maybe he won't be a high OVP guy, but I like the all around profile. So that defense will help give him a longer leash than most at the major league level. So yeah, I think he's definitely a really good major league player. I just want to recap back on Nick Gonzalez also. He got injured in May, May 31st, did not play all the way until August. So that's a big portion of what was going on. And in August, he's moved around a couple different levels in his rehabilitation, but he is hitting uh, 333. He's got 10 hits and 30 at-bats. The homers haven't been there. He's stolen a couple bases at these levels. But, you know, you have, you have major injury issues. You miss a lot of time. This is another guy I actually think could repeat 
back into the yeah. Arizona Fall League based on all those missed games. I think it would be advantageous for him. And this is his hometown. So I think it would make a whole lot of sense for him to want to do it as well. So be on the lookout for that in any of the uh, other previewing that I might be doing. So we shared Austin Wells, who we talked about, and I'm just jumping into these next two and warming burnable. You got the best deal of anybody on warming burnable uh, in this draft. So that was a good one. Austin Wells, you got at 83. And actually, I'm jumping a player who you took at 86. But let's just talk about Austin Wells and warming real quick. Um, I love the warming pick, too. But give me some uh, give me some breakdown on both of those. Yeah, I was surprised to see warming there because he was one that, you know, I think I popped him in the 90s, I want to say, in one of my updates. And everyone's like, oh, you should have gotten higher on him. So I thought there was no way I'd get him there. I you got him at 107, was... by the way. You got the best value of any. He had an ADP actually of 88.5. Oh, and nice. you got him at uh, 107. Yeah, I, I actually almost missed him actually <laughs> because I was like, oh, he's not there anymore. But I was like, oh, wait, no, he still is there. But yeah, he's hitting over 300 this year, 314. 14 home runs, 23 steals in uh, 90 games. He's just got up, caught up to high A about a month and a half ago. It's been 25 games there in, in Spokane. Yeah, there's a, a lot of good things across the board. You want to see maybe you know, a little more walk out of him. That's really the only detractor so far this year, but he keeps the K rate very low, only 54 Ks in 90 games. That's very encouraging as well. And I think, yeah, people just are scared off a little bit by Rockies guys because of the, the recent track record of like Garrett Hampson and whatnot. So, but there's a lot of good in this profile. Still only 20. He just turned 20 back in early June. So still pretty young. And I like the all-around profile. So I was very happy to get him. I like the hitting profile as well. And the, and the power profile with the speed and stuff like that's like Adel Amador is an interesting guy, but a little bit smaller. Like I like warming's build. Uh, I think mm, it's a little yeah. bit more sustainable and I like the hit tool. It's been consistent across the board. I don't feel like it's weighted in one area where you're like, oh, that's just the ballpark factor. It's it's not the right there. Austin Wells, I feel like, is uh, cooled a little bit in a lot of people's minds. But, you know, Wells is still a really great hitting prospect catcher, first base, wherever they move him. And I kind of felt like he fell as well. Um, going back, let me see. Let me pull up Austin Wells. So Wells, I guess he's kind of maintained. He went 80. Check this out. He went 87 in fall, his ADP, mm-hmm. 92 in February. And then this one, 87. So, I mean, the guy moved five spots in almost a full calendar year. And I kind of thought he would be moving up, but there really wasn't a whole lot of movement up. And uh, you and I both snagged him. Yeah. I mean, he's been a little, you know, not quite as good. Obviously, he was raking in high A, Hudson Valley, you know, 323 in 28 games, but only 252 in 31 games so far on the Eastern League. But I'm not really you know, scared away by that. This has been, you know, a notorious pitcher friendly league. It's not the PCL, you know, it's not the Florida state. Like this is more of a pitcher friendly environment. So, you know, I'm not really worried at all. I like the swing. It's a very, I love the swing. Actually, I think it's going to be built very well for the Yankee stadium, obviously lefty power Yankee stadium, you know, works for everybody except for Joey Gallo, apparently. But I think you have above average hit tool. I think there's above average pop there as well. Maybe, Adds a little bit of speed as well, you know, maybe five, six deals, just a little something, something there. And yeah, I think he can stick at, at catcher long term. I think he's definitely, he's not the greatest catcher, but I think he's he's adequate enough from what I've seen yeah. that he could stick there. See what the Yankees want to do with him. Like you said, they could move him the first corner outfield. We'll see. He's, he's athletic enough to play there. So yeah, I, I like the value a lot. I still say, uh, go back and listen if anyone hasn't to my interview with him last year at the AFL. It was, 
one of the weirdest interviews because <laughs> he wasn't rude, but there's nothing in the world he wanted less than to talk with me. And he gave the most unintentionally funny response to winning player of the week award. Uh, to this day, I still think about it, it was so deadpan dry funny uh and how sarcastic it was it was pretty great he was uh he's an interesting cat uh that austin wells <laughs> so uh, a couple more picks in here but we're not going to focus on every single one i got these two that i want to really hit and then there's maybe one more question um chase de was the one in between warming and austin wells i know you're very high on him in first year player i think I don't think you actually took him the highest of anybody. Let me just come back up what? here and find it. Who took Chase DeLauder higher than me? Let's I want to see. No, you person. did. You did. Did I make a mark? <laughs> I, I must have written that. Oh, you know what? I had. Uh, I had. Oh, I did. I did. I have it. I have it written down here. I just wasn't staring at my own sheet. <laughs> yes, you were the most aggressive on Chase DeLauder by quite a bit, if we're being honest. Uh, he did not go inside the top 100 of anybody else's, but... Three of the four drafters were industry people. Your boy Clegg got him at 130. Frank Ooh. Stample got him at 106. And then uh, ITL legend SPP got him at 126. So not a full sweep, but DeLauder, you took it 86. You are high. Just give the speech again. I mean, what is it like top? Is he number three, four, five on your first year play? I don't quite remember. So it would make sense why you took him. He's five in my first year player, okay. but I've thought about bumping him to two because I think I might like him a little bit more than Termar and, and Holiday, to be honest with you. They're, it's a very close tier for me. And in my overall, I have him 47 in my overall right now. I am mm. planting that flag on Chase DeLauder. I, I have you a have lot of, so. yeah, like last year, I think it's you know a little bit of the small school thing with James Madison, same, similar thing with Colton Cowser last year. cowser has been just fine. I like the skills of DeLauder even more than I like the skills of, the, of uh, Kowser at the time. I think they're, he's a big, strong, physical, you know, athletic guy, plus or better power. So I think he's going to be an above-average runner early in his career. Solid hit tool, great approach, doesn't strike out a lot. Now, I, I reached out to one person uh, asking, you know, am I missing something on DeLauder as I have, you know, incredibly higher than everyone else? And there was you know, some talk about the hands, maybe a little bit busy. The swing isn't the greatest, but, you know, and I can see that after I went back and looked at it, I can see what, you know, why those issues could be there. But I don't, I'm not like overly concerned by it. I love the all around profile for fantasy. This is this absolute gem of a player. And he's doesn't have, it's like he has a lot of, you know, competition in Cleveland over the next handful of years. Yeah. So, yeah, I think people are really yeah. sleeping on DeLouder. Yeah. It'll be fun to watch. Like, I don't like DeLouder in this, even the same stratosphere that you do. Kind of because of like, not that I need safety or anything like that. Like this is all about swing and miss, uh, you know, swinging for the fences, if you will, not swing and miss. High school guys have as much risk as you could argue that like a high school bat in general has as much risk as like a successful college player with like a little wonky thing. I just like when you have semi questionable bat to ball skills with like hitches and stuff, I can't. I can't justify taking even the profile over Tamar, who's like Tamar. I, I mean, I am probably irrationally in on Tamar because I think his hit tool is just can't miss, but he doesn't yeah. run. Agreed. And then you there, got yeah. like Elijah Green and Jackson Holiday. I think the upside five tool for both of them is just too immensely high. So like there's no world I can see him in the top four. After that, I think everything is open in my eyes. Like I like Cam Collier. Uh, I like Parada. I'm warming up on Jacob, Jacob Berry, but like, Delauder could go in any of those spots. I just don't have him in quite the same area, but you know, you also took advantage of like you you knew the room didn't 
quite like him as much as you exactly and it helped yep. kind of create the the value of it um kind of quick hitters here alexander canario we found out was one that every single industry person drafted he was a unanimous industry guy uh one of the top five so i think you actually account for two of the players that went uh, unanimously by industry drafters. Uh, you got any quick thoughts on Canario and the, just the insane power output he's had this year? I know it's been absolutely astonishing what he's done, especially after getting called up to double a 22 home runs and 17 steals and 78 games. I mean, yeah, the average is a little bit low. I think that that's still the, the question is how much average does he hit for? But even if he can just get to like 250, 255 in that range, I think there's 30 home runs, 15 steals, like this big power speed blend. He's a strong guy, 6'1", 210, no projection left on that frame, but he's very strong. He's been absolutely dominant the last month or so. Wrigley Field is a great place to hit. So I think he'll be up Yeah, maybe later next year. We'll see. They, I can see them going to AAA to start next year and him up you know, about this time next year. So pretty you know, semi-reasonably not too far away from the major leagues. Love the power speed. Just want to see how much hit tool he gets to. But the rest of the profile is very, very fun. So I think he's a guy that went, uh, if he, if we were to do this again now, probably goes, I'd say, a good 30, 40 spots higher. I actually kind of agree with you. I think he would go higher. He's a prime AFL candidate, I would point out as well. I think he will be bumping up. Your last five picks, you took uh, Jace Young. So you, you uh, it's funny. We were talking about this with Matt. Matt was worried about taking too many like uh, first-year player guys. I took a few. You took a few. It's just because the value isn't quite there. You took Jace Young. You got Gavin Cross, Trey Sweeney, Cole Henry, and Miguel Blyce. Henry and Blyce, you were the most aggressive than anybody else on. You took them the highest than anybody else. You have any? Just you can pick a guy or two. I mean, obviously, I think you're also a big Gavin Cross, same namesake uh, <laughs> with you. I know you're a big Gavin Cross guy. Any yeah. little random thought on any of the five, the bottom five? First off, real quick, it's just fun to have somebody with the last name Cross that I can draft. That's just you really gotta get fun like a me. jersey, don't you think? You have to go get like a, I, a, I a Royals Cross jersey. You kind of have to do it. I kind of have to. Yeah, I'm gonna look into that. I'm sure they don't have them quite yet, but yeah, I'm definitely gonna look into that. But yeah, those those are it was a kind of a fun little mix of players there. I'm not even the biggest on Jace Young. I like he's a great, you know, very polished hitter. I didn't like the fit for Detroit, but he he was in my queue and he just kept falling and falling and falling. And I'm like, all right, at this point, I have to take him. Sweeney, I still believe in the bat. You know, he's kind of had a lackluster year all around. Still believe in that bat, though, and good fit Jesus. at Yankee Stadium. You got him at 158 at Jay Sean. I mean, like, I know, because I totally did. Trey Sweeney <laughs> at 155 is there, but like, that's ridiculous. I didn't like, even realize that. Dude, he went to Eddie Almonger 89 overall in mine. He went uh, 101 to Scott Green uh, from Prospects 1500 in another league, but. You didn't actually get him the lowest. Dan Snyder did in the second mock at 167. I can't believe he fell past 150 in both yeah. of those. And to you, that is, I don't blame you whatsoever. I would have done the same thing. Right. I, I kept leaving him there in my queue. I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh, he'll go soon. And I don't have to worry about it. Then I'm like, he's still freaking there. So I'm like, all That's right. crazy. I got to take him there, even though yes, I don't like the fit in Detroit. But I like the you know, he's a good bat overall. Blayas, I just heard a lot of good things coming out of you know Red Sox camp. I've heard you know that he's one of the most hyped players you know, one of the most impressive players in at complex level this year. A lot of good things. So that was like, you know what? I, I could have went a thousand different ways, as you know, with that last pick. But I'm like, you know what? Let's have a little fun, a little upside here. I think he's a guy that by mid next year, I think he's going to be like a unanimous top 100 guy. Uh, I think I'm that high on him. And yeah, Cole Henry, 
I like Cole Henry a lot. I think he's a top 100 talent. Obviously, the injuries have kind of piled up. That injury. Yeah, just so many. I probably would have taken him. If he was healthy, I would probably have taken him a round or two ahead of that because I really like the stuff. But who knows if he has enough durability to be a starter. So it's kind of like, all right, if that's to be my third arm, I'm fine with that. And a little upside play there. You know, maybe he, you know, returns good value on that. Who knows? But yeah, it was, it was, it was a fun final five picks. Favorite and least favorite of your picks. Favorite would probably have to be, I think, Burnabell, actually. Uh, not sure why I'm going with Burnabell. Uh, there's a couple others I could have gone with, but I just love that value there. I thought he would have got went so much higher just given what he's done and the fact that, you know, yeah, he's a, a kind of a, a step behind in terms of level uh, when you, compared to like Tovar, but pretty similar stats to Ezekiel Tovar. And he's about the same age. Like I said, yeah, he's only in high A, but I thought he would have gone a lot higher. So really – Really happy to get him there. The one that if I could do over, I probably would have let the louder slide a bit more. I'm not saying I'd obviously love the louder, but I'll probably let him slide a little bit more. Maybe same thing with Rafaela, but there weren't any picks that I that I really hated though. Was there um was there a dang it, I wish this would have happened? Like, did you get sniped? Was there a guy you really wanted uh, in any of the rounds that you just didn't end up getting, you know, that you would have wanted to target? Could have been a fourth, fifth, sixth, could have been a second round guy. Just anybody you really wanted and you were pissed that you didn't get? Oh, absolutely. Third round, when I, I still like the Bradley pick, but it was shaping up to get, I was going to get like Espino was falling. Elijah Green was falling. Zach mm. Veen was falling. I'm like, oh, I'm going to get one of these guys. And then Espino, so I picked 35. Espino went 28 to Nick O'Neill. Green went 31 to Jesse Roche. And then Veen went right after that, 32 to, to somebody that just, just says Aaron. I don't know who the last name is. This, it's Aaron. Yeah, it's Aaron. And then, dude, Mason Wynn went. Yeah. And the lowest Luci- cost Luci- of Luciano. Right. So I was like, all these guys wow. are falling. I'm, I'm not even like the highest on Luciano, but I'm like, that's great value. So I'm like, oh, this is, I'm like, you know, looking at my lips here. It's like, this is setting up nicely. Then they just all went. And I'm like, all right, Bradley's, I still really like, but I was like, oh, I, I thought I was going to steal at that pick. That would have been, that would have been sick. Uh, final takeaways from it. Uh, it can be anything. It can be the usefulness of it. It can be uh, a value. There could be somebody that you think is, or somebody's that is a crazy deal or people haven't adjusted to. Any takeaways you had uh, coming off of your draft? I was honestly a little shocked at how high a, a lot of the FYPD guys went. Everyone seems to be talking about how, oh, especially when, when I get you know feedback on my rankings when I put them out there to like, oh, you're too aggressive on that on on these guys. So I, th- I feel like people are like, oh, we need to drop down you know our rankings of these you know, new guys so they prove something, but then they still. Keep going insanely high. I saw where was it? Uh, you Jackson guys, Hall. you had yeah. I was gonna say you had three of the first year player go inside the top twenty, but I think you guys are the only ones that had that happen. Yeah, like Jackson Holiday went uh, fifteen right after my Drew Jones pick. That was pretty surprising. There, highest of any league, and Tamar went nineteen, and that was the highest of any league. So you had the next two guys. That, so that's a weird thing. You got yeah. Drew at the best deal of anybody in any league. And then Jackson Holiday and Tamar were the highest of anybody in your leagues. That makes yeah, you sense, guys yeah. definitely had a priority, it looks like, on the first-year player guys. I mean, Elijah Green kind of went in the middle. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's the dance. That's the dance of yep. this time of year and the valuation is people figuring out, like, what do I do with these first-year player guys? How do they sit when they're such small sample sizes? And your league seemed to be a little bit of the outlier of, like, oh, I missed out on Drew. I'm taking Jackson Holiday. That's what Alec. Uh, that's what Alex Jensen did. And then 
whoever C little is at, uh, what is it? 19 was like, I'm taking Jamar Johnson. I'm making sure I get them. And then they ended up coming back with, how did they pair? I don't even actually see the names are all screwed up, but I don't see how the pairing ended up going. Uh, but yeah. Oh yeah. And they took Christian Hernandez later. So it was like huge upside. So the young guys shocked you a little bit. Yeah. I kept looking uh, the next pick after Hernandez was Gabriel Gonzalez at 43. So probably they're just going a little bit. Maybe, maybe I kicked off the, the FYPD with taking Drew no. Jones, who knows? But uh, one of the questions I got for you that I was looking at it. Yeah. Were we, were we the highest on Jack lighter at 26? We had to have been. Ooh, Jack lighter because I wanted Jack lighter. Yes. You guys were wildly the highest on Jack lighter. I did want lighter, but I had a chance and he went 85 in my league. Here were his uh, numbers. He went 69. Nice. In one league. <laughs> He went 85, 73, and 26 in your guys' draft, which didn't go weird with his ADP. Um, His ADP is still like 63, which actually I think is a really good spot. And it's almost a little beneficial that he went that high. I'm still the defender of Jack Glider, where everybody seems to be just kind of met on him. But yeah, that's a good question. You guys were wildly high on Jack Glider, and there may be a league out there that has uh, the value of him there. Yeah, that, that that was one that kind of uh, it surprised me a bit. I thought he'd fall. Yeah, I, I think 60 to 80 range. That's very fair. I think I probably have him in that range as well in my rankings. But yeah, 26, uh, maybe uh, open my eyes a little bit. So some of the names like Espino was still on the board. Green, Veen, Wynn, Luciano, all those guys we just mentioned. So yeah, that was a bit surprising. Yeah, I mean, I would have taken uh, Espino without question above um, yep. Jack Leiter. I would have taken Taj Bradley, Gavin Williams, Harrison. And I mean, I got and Tideman went after all those guys in your guys' league. And I would have yep. taken him. I told you I have him at number three. So it's a no brainer. Um, yeah. So first year player, it's a good way to uh, process it. Eric, thank you so much, my friend, for taking part in it and helping make all of it and promote it and stuff like that. Uh, what do you got going on? What's going down uh, on the tool shed? I also did. I see you got a new little sports network going on. What's uh, what's up in your world? <laughs> Yeah, that, that's just a fun little side venture. I've kind of wanted an outlet just to talk you know, non-fantasy baseball, just MLB in general, and some a little bit of basketball, too. I'm, I'm a big basketball guy, and I'm, maybe I didn't know, know that. basketball guy. Yeah, so I'm a big basketball guy. So I'm like, I just want to have a little outlets to chat about that, and I'm not gonna, I'm not trying to like make this into a huge thing. If it blows up, fine, but just a little fun. Just to, I'm going to have fun with it, talk, bring on some guests, talk basketball, baseball. So, yeah, it's uh, crossed up sports. I, you know, a little fun with my last name there. Uh, a lot of uh, you know, a lot of ranking stuff. You know, I was, as you as you do as well. Yeah, it's kind of obviously we're winding down a little bit, but yeah, just getting ready for the off season. Do another rankings update here next uh, yeah, next couple of weeks, probably first uh, first week in September. I'll get my new uh, prospect and dynasty ranks out for the end of the season. Then yeah, looking forward to seeing you and everybody out at the uh, AFL and first pitch in early November. Yeah, buddy. We're going to do a little podcast action. Absolutely, Maybe, we are. We need to, you know what we need to do? We need to get like a little prospect dinner going. We need to get like a couple of us, only the prospect guys, to go out and... Dude, uh, let's do it. We Yeah, we get all that. We got the, all the high dollar dudes. All the big names are out doing dinners. We need to get like a little prospects only uh, little dinner going on or something. Let's do it, man. Do let's do it. Yeah. Let's organize it. Content, baby. We always making that content. We're down with it. Uh, Air Cross on Twitter. Air Cross 04. Love you, brother. Thank you so much. Thanks, buddy. There you go, friends. That is the episode next week. I hope to do it again, but this time we will maybe bring someone who is in my league and then league two. Probably going to shoot for James, but, uh, you know, I do have James on a lot. Maybe I'll get, I don't know. I can't help myself, but have James on. But either way, we'll be breaking down leagues one and two, 
looking at probably a whole new slew of players. I'll probably break down mine a little bit more since it's week, uh, since it's League One, and that's where I was in. And we will kind of finish out this series of my initial breakdown plus the two breakdowns. And then in September, on the Prospect One update rank sheet, you're going to not only get the P180Ps that I posted, but you're going to get some new information that's going to be put on it. I will be sliding in, like I said, a breakdown of next to the player, who took them in each league. You'll also see the highs and the lows of who was aggressive and who was not aggressive. You'll see names and stuff like that. It's a really helpful sheet. Uh, So that little update will be coming in September, as well as a refreshed prospect and dynasty one. And for redraft, if people care, I'm actually going to attempt to do one for an early 2023 redraft look. So all of that's going to be over on Patreon within the next month. So hopefully you guys come and consider and support in five or 10 bucks. You guys can get a couple different pieces of access and I will probably have something a little bit more intense this year with the AFL trying to make it all work for me that if I'm going to be there so much, I might even have a separate little channel for it. So more reason why you might want to at least be at the LT level over on Prospect One if that's your thing. But thank you guys as always for your support and hanging in the podcast, hanging in all year long. You know where you can find me on Twitter. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and go check out my buddy Dennis Sidler over at Sid's Graphs. Get some cool stuff. We're going to be doing another Break This League event, I think, in about a week or so. We're going to try to do two a month for just a little bit. And uh might be a little Jackson Churio popping up here in the near future. Just letting you know. Also a rumor on the street, maybe a little bit of Ellie De La Cruz. Just be on the lookout in this league.com. Break This League event. At least get to watch it on our Twitch. Uh, we do a lot of fun stuff over on the Twitch as well. Twitch.tv slash in this league for Bogman and I. All right, friends, you have a fantastic weekend. Thank you as always. I'm Chris Welsh. This is Prospect One. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.